Beardy and the Beast Media Club. This is placeholder intro song. Thank you for joining us for a very spooky Beardy and the Beast Media Club, a full spoiler discussion into a piece of media. We will not let prejudice against spoilers throw us into a psychotic rampage. If you like what we do, please share us with your friends or join us in the discussion in the comments or at our Discord. And of course, check out where we're available at beardyandthebeast.com. My name is Drew, and as always, we have our very own half hillbilly, Devin. It's not true. <laughs> it can't be. <laughs> this spooktober, we have chosen films that critique, parody, or satire the horror film genre. And today, we'll be discussing 2010's horror comedy, Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. <laughs> so, Devin, did this fall short, or did it give her? Uh, I it, it gave her. Definitely gives her. <laughs> <laughs> um, this movie has not let me down every time I've seen it. <laughs> um, I think the characterization's right. The way it plays with its tropes is is right. Keeps the horror f- feel, but very much leans into the comedy feel. As we said before, it knows what it wanted to do, and it did it very well. Mm-hmm. Overall, I... I super enjoy this film. Each time I've seen it, I've I've laughed, I've cried, I've gone on a murderous rampage. But I remember it being more clever, more consistently. Kind of like like the the more you watch Zoolander, the more clever each line and joke seems to be. But I feel like this this film kind of tapers off. It says a bunch of stuff and then it just kind of follows through with the story. And then it kind of picks it up at the end. So there's a lull, like in the the second third, when it comes to like the cleverness. Mm. Probably my mm. only real conflict with the film itself. Just I remember it being more clever than it is more throughout. Fair enough. I, I think in that kind of middle section that you're talking about, uh, I think that's part of the. I think it backs off from the the play with the tropes a little bit because it kind of starts a reconstruction of the tropes. Mm, true. So, because there was a lot of films around this time, well, at least, at least several films around this time that did a lot of the deconstruction and reconstruction of tropes. Because mm-hmm. uh, like uh, Kick-Ass being the other big one, I'm pretty sure was right around this time as well. Well, you got to be careful too because if you go too far and like two all in you become a little bit more scary movie and a little less screen. So it's yeah. like finding that balance. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that I found weird watching it again, cause I, I don't know. I forgot it was there was the, um, just the opening, the very opening scene, the found like, footage. Yeah. Uh, I think that was supposed to be a reference to Texas chainsaw. Okay. But it's kind of like, because it shows you who the real villain is, it can kind of take away from what they're doing with it in the early film. I I disagree simply because from from the beginning, they're they're painting Tucker and Dale. Well, I wouldn't say from the beginning. From the second scene that they're in, yeah, they're portraying Tucker and Dale as uh, just kind of like. Fun-loving, hard-working, kind of bumbling dotes that are lovable. Yeah. yeah. 
so I don't I don't think the found footage intro takes away from it simply from the fact that they weren't hiding that from the mm. beginning. If if they had laid into it without showing both sides of the coin immediately, I would agree. Okay, that, oh, that is that's fair. I was I was sad about one thing, and it's simply because I thought it would have been a nice little add-in. Mm. Um, in the gas station scene when they're picking up beer. Tucker is at the ca- cash register and he asks the guy at the cash register to read back the list for him. Yes. And I actually made an effort to like write it down because I was like, wait a minute. Is this going to be a situation where each thing in order that is on that list is involved in a death or something mm-hmm. like that? And unfortunately, it didn't seem to be because it went uh, three quarter nails, hacksaw, bait and hooks, and then so forth. I think that would have been definitely neat if they did that or at least some of it like you know nail gun or something mm-hmm. like that but i think that was set up more for to show the mood not for anything else so if we're watching this without tucker and, and dale's point of view at all you're in the creepy gas station and you just have this guy listing off all of these things that's exactly what redneck hillbillies are going to be using to, well, to kill you with well, the reason the reason why I I had that immediate thought was specifically because of um, oh, what did they, what did they call him in uh, Cabin in the Woods? Uh, the Harbinger. Harbinger. Yeah, I was th- I was thinking they were they were going to play with that trope mm. and have that list be the pseudo Harbinger. So I thought they were kind of li- lining that up. Mm. Um, it was a funny list though, because it goes, um, I didn't hear it all, but the end of it was, uh, brush clearing scythe, clamps, handsaw, lubricated condoms. I actually wonder, you know how I am? Like I've, I've watched things for the first time many times just because of how my brain works. Um, I could have swore that Tucker was gay for Dale. No, because what they... What they did was they did a lot of the allusion to it. So I could mm-hmm. see, like, you know, if you're watching it for the first time again, you're remembering the the little bits of scenes where it's like, okay, you can get off me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, getting stuck while trying to clean up the beer. And what, that, lubricated those, condoms? Yeah, those, so those images of get stuck. <laughs> I, well, I, th- I think that's probably where that's. Well, I think it, it for me it was the after the truck crash. Mm-hmm. I thought they had more of a heart to heart. Obviously I was wrong, but I was definitely getting like gay vibes from mm. Tucker towards Dale. And like what kind of sparked it was because the fact that I heard lubricated condoms. So it was like, they're in the middle of nowhere and they're getting stuff to work on this place. And it's only those two. Why, why the lubricated condoms? I mean, always wear protection. <laughs> Anyways, it, maybe maybe we shouldn't focus too much on it. But. <laughs> yeah, I think that was thrown in there just more again to go to the this is a psycho's list of things that they yeah. may or may not need. I, um, I think you're right. I definitely laughed at that one. Like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, and then they they turned they turned the police officer into like a harbinger. Mm. Which was an unexpected choice. But I guess it does follow, like, 
warnings from law enforcement or pseudo law enforcement is a common thing that occurs in these type of films. Yeah. Well, and you gotta remember like the gas station as a harbinger wouldn't have made sense. Yeah. Because it's not the college kids horror story. Mm. Right. So, so you have to move that harbinger to Tucker and Dale. True. Good spot. Good spot. Yeah. That clarifies a lot for me. But yeah, they, they do it subtly enough that... And this is one thing that I, I really appreciated with how they how they played with the tropes. Mm. Was they played the tropes 100% straight throughout the film. But they gave you a context that was different than what the trope normally would use. Mm-hmm. The, the example is when they go and um, the college kids are going to go skinny dipping... And the one is kind of off by herself and falls into the lake and gets kidnapped by the, by the hillbillies. The face-eating hillbillies. Yes, the face-eating hillbillies. Without that bit of a scene saying, oh, no, hey, college kids, we got your friends. Right, without the 30 seconds of context before that, it's like, oh, we should get their attention so we can help her. <laughs> it would have been the exact trope you would have seen in, in that type of horror film. And that's done again with the notes and everything throughout. It's like, we have the context, but from the college kid's standpoint, this is a horror movie. <laughs> well, and apparently, um, I was reading a thing this afternoon that uh, on the DVD, there's a special feature that tells this, like, is a cut from the college kid's point of view. Yeah. Uh, which I wouldn't mind seeing. Makes me wonder, how, makes me wonder how Chad would come off. Mm. Like, how they yes. would play that context. Yeah, because they really, they don't even set him up to be slightly sympathetic like he comes across as a villain right from the get-go like mm-hmm. even without that found footage scene so yeah it'd be interesting to see how that changes the way that it ramped was nice since we're still like talking about the beginning of the film yeah. um they, they do the found footage and then they do like a shill screen and then they have the dun 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 and then the kind of like out of tune viola or violin or something kind of Doing it's yeah. like ee, 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 into the classic road trip, mm-hmm. just laying on like trope, 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 and then immediately just one eighties. Yes, with the with the police scene, mm. the the way that it ramps though, like it it really kind of like sets the pins up and then just walks over to like a different lane. Yes, <laughs> I, I found they kind of did stuff like that throughout, which is kind of nice. Like, just, like, using the music and such. Like, even when it was fairly comedic and obvious, they still made sure they kept that horror music lined up with it. And it really adds to the atmosphere of the film and and how it's dealing with it all. Well, kind of the way that they would change the atmospheres. uh, A good example here is the cabin itself. Mm. So when they first enter the cabin, it's dark and it's dank and it's dusty. But they're very optimistic about it. Yes. And then it kind of goes to a different scene. When they come back, it's actually well lit. And even though there's still like bones and like weird news clippings on the wall, um, the brightness really changes the atmosphere of inside the cabin. Mm-hmm. And then you can completely flip that on its head by showing the outside where there's like four dead bodies or whatever. <laughs> and they, they even change the lighting to make it even look more bleak from one to the other. Yes. Just the cabin overall was another great play on tropes. Just 
to, to segue on that. Because then you see it and it's quote unquote a fixer upper. Mm-hmm. But it's like any other film, it's like, oh God, this is the, you know, murder shack. cabin in the woods, murder shack. Yeah. And they're like, it's beautiful. It's ours. <laughs> and they make it theirs. <laughs> well, that's I mean, it. Again, I think part of that brightness is, you know, I'm assuming they've done some work and stuff on it. So. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it's because they keep flipping the point of views, right? Yeah. There was a little bit of foreshadowing that they kind of did at the very beginning of the film too, with, um, with Allison, uh, when Tucker and Dale first drove by mm-hmm. and they're like, they're like showing their prejudice towards the hillbillies <laughs> and, and just the way Allison responded to it. Um, she, she responded almost in a way of sympathy to them. Oh, okay. Uh, sympathy might not be the right word, but th- there was just that recognition. She had that reaction to them attacking the hillbillies. Which, of course, you know, is important. And we find out later when she's, you know, out digging a shithole. Um, <laughs> that you mean an outhouse also, hole? Yes. <laughs> As some might see it, her grave. <laughs> she had worked on a farm previously yeah. with her family. Yeah. So sympathy is probably not, um, probably a recognition or even um, an empathetic response. Yeah. She was not into the insulting of them. <laughs> I, I appreciated that. I love how overall the film was just one of those things that you say all the time. It's like, if they just had a two minute conversation with each other, <laughs> this whole thing could have been avoided. <laughs> well, they, they even bring that up, right? Yeah. <laughs> because Allison was like, you know, if people just talk some more, like it would solve so much problems in this world. In this case, I mean, I mean, I've also mentioned in, I've mentioned in the past that comedies get an additional pass for these sort of things if this was like a pure drama or a full-on horror or thriller horror or something like that and the entire thing could have been avoided just by two people talking i would have been all over it (laughs) but they also called that out yeah well it's the thing like there wouldn't be a movie if that was the case and Mm. let's face it miscommunications and stuff like that happen all the time i like that they that they called it out I also like how it was very much a first-year psychology student calling it all out <laughs> and trying to like psycho um, assist with the negotiations, as it were. Well, they didn't try to hide that either. It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't a first-year psychology student's skills imprinted on a character who was supposed to be well developed. Yeah, which is. <laughs> Essentially, the the thing that we complain about all the time where filmmakers don't bring an expert or reference an expert, they just like wiki it. But in this case, it very much was the skills, the perspective and the presentation of a first year psychology student. Yeah. And um, shown even more with her friend, uh, which goes, oh, no, it's the Stockholm syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) Like I read this in a book once. Are you falling in love with that hillbilly? So well done. Uh, uh, I, I, I think one of the things that I find funny where, where they take that miscommunication and they kind of, it's interesting, they take it a step further as well because it's obvious, like even when they stop and kind of look for like half a second, they can see that they're not being... It's not like she's chained up. She looks like she's having a decent time while she's digging the shithole of the, while she's digging her grave (laughs) or, or, you know, it's like, are they having tea? It's like, clearly there's something else happening here. And even 
the college students are just college kids are just <laughs> blinded to it. Even to the fact it's like if they looked for half a second, it's like there was no body count. Like there's no kill count in this film. <laughs> Everyone killed themselves. Like, <laughs> and it's obvious that that's the case. <laughs> like when you see it for even half a second, like the guy who just obviously impaled himself. Well, I mean, you gotta, you also gotta keep in mind, like if you're watching, um, irregular slashers yeah you know you do have michael myers like picking someone up and like putting them on a spike that's that's true um, yeah. so but that that's uh where the guy runs into the branch was also calling itself back to um when they were pass getting passed on the mm. highway by the truck you was saying yeah. that kind of thing like blankly staring over while they're running <laughs> Oh, they must have been allergic to bees. <laughs> well, I mean, in college kids' defense, I understand that Tucker is running away from the bees. Drop the chainsaw. It's got a safety. <laughs> he could have easily cut it for his own safety. Even if he didn't want to drop the chainsaw, he could have turned it off. Yeah. Because <laughs> what if he falls, right? Yeah. Again, it, it's a good way to, to play into the chainsaw massacre trope of a guy chasing you around with a chainsaw like yeah no if you have no context it, it was kind of bookended nicely with um the the wasp like landing on the guy's nose as he's dying because mm -hmm. i swear i just saw like this little bit of recognition like oh he was running from this <laughs> i'm not sure if i'm projecting that or if you saw that too <laughs> contextually it's the only reason why you would include that scene yeah bees aren't a re repeated symbol in the film mm -hmm. So it's the only thing that could make sense. And he can't tell anyone because <laughs> he's dead. One thing that I would have liked is if there was some call to how, how they were going to die or matching up the deaths a little more. For me, it would have made sense more if the one who smoked, and they might have done it a little bit with her, but... She was definitely more like self-infatuated and vain. Mm -hmm. So it would have made more sense to me if she was the one that took the weed whacker to the face. Yes. Like the way that they ended up taking out Christy Lang, uh, Naomi. I think that was her, yeah. I think she was she the was one the that, that got the bushwhacker. Yeah. Like it didn't make sense because she, though she was freaking out, she was one of the few that didn't seem to be a bad person per se. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, Allison was, you know, your good person. Yeah. Um, well, the interesting yeah, the, the, there could have been two ways to kill off Chloe. That would have made sense. She was the smoker. Mm -hmm. Because, again, you're right. The vanity aspect, play on that. Or the fact that she's smoking all the time and they just poured gas all over their vacation home. Right. Instead, she, she lights up smoke after the fire's already started instead. Where that could have just been another accidental accidental death in the mm -hmm. and would have made sense with the character yeah i think that's that's something that they definitely could have played with more i'm not like other than that specific one i'm not really sure what else like where i would make the changes well the problem is and this is why i can see why they didn't it's it's not those kids movies mm -hmm. they're really just plot points in the film yes so there's no actual need to expand upon their character. You would have to 
give them more personality, make them actual like real characters to then play on that with some type of karmic trope or reflection of personality, et cetera, when it comes to those deaths. Yeah. Cause like really Chloe's the only one that would kind of get that bit of characterization with anyway, you know, cause who else wears stripper shoes out to the woods? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that's part of it that like, that makes sense. Cause they're clearly going for the you know, super archetypal characters. Mm. Like, her character is basically supposed to be just the big blonde bimbo that just has the death. And that's her only real purpose. Well, and you had like, you had your car jock guy wearing his like mechanic shirt. You had your nerdy guy and they really did this baseline because you had your black guy. Yep. And they didn't give him anything more than that. In fact, the only one they gave more than that was Chloe. Yeah. And, and everyone else was literally just like, I'm this demographic person. Yeah. Even Chad as the, as the villain didn't have much added to him. Other than, you know, making it very clear that he's allergic to chamomile tea. <laughs> and that he's half hillbilly. Yes. <laughs> I did like that little bit of a, you know, just pull on the trope. It's like, oh, you're the killer's son the entire time. <laughs> like, they all lied to me. <laughs> you lied to me. You turned her against me, Obi-Wan. <laughs> I do think uh, Tyler Labine and Alan, T Alan Tudyk were... The right choice. Oh, yes. Because um, they both have this... I mean, Tudyk can do a lot, but they do have a way of looking rough and down-to-earth. Yes. That, like, to me, they seemed approachable. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I had the additional context. Well, I, I think that's... So, let's look at the college kid standpoint, because like, some of the notes I took there. Because you're right. For the most part, I think they're fairly approachable. Mm -hmm. Except... In the context of their first interactions with the cars, kids, <laughs> was you have Dale, super nervous, wanting to talk to Allie, with a scythe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, I can see how that'd be a bit creepy. And I think that's, I think they played that very well. Like, there was reasons for the college kids to go, uh, this seems, you know, redneck murder family type scenario. Isn't just that little tiny bit of context makes all the difference. That scene, now that I think about it, had a fun little punctuation on it. They even highlighted how timid Dale was in that scene because Chad comes up just being a jerk and like doing the fakest, lamest looking like martial arts. Yeah. And like Dale immediately backs down and like flinches at it. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's not like it was like any of the bigger guys. It was like actually the smallest dude and least threatening, in my opinion, mm -hmm. from like a physical standpoint in that group. Yeah. And Dale was like, uh, yeah, that's it. They show the characterization very well, like again, early on with the three characters that they care show a characterization about. Yeah. Which, again, I don't fault in any way. Yeah, I don't have a problem with it. It's not exactly the most complex character-driven story. Not in any way, shape, or form. I, I do like the book end with um, Dale talking to, uh, I can't remember what his name was, EJ, I think it was. Mm. 
think that was who it was, where he's telling him to, you know, just go and be yourself. And then you see him doing exactly what you would expect, <laughs> expect in that style of film, where he just like clubs her over the head and starts dragging her off. Right. Yeah. Which is a, again, a really good way to go. It's like, I know exactly what we did here. <laughs> I need to go back to like the miscommunication because really that's where all of the play and the tropes come from. Yeah. I really like how they did things like Tucker and Dale talking about playing Trivial Pursuit with, with Allie. And they're just using like, you know, language that makes sense. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to beat the crap out of her in a video game <laughs> type conversation. Yeah, yeah. And all they're hearing is like, oh no, they're going to finish her off. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. And just like the trying to sketch a note. It's like, no, we just have your friend. Like, come get her. <laughs> <laughs> like all of these things seem so innocent until, I don't know, stressed out college kids. But they also did like kind of interesting things. Like with the sheriff who obviously when he tells the story of, you know, I have to think he's a big moron for <laughs> biggest moron for all these kids accidentally killing themselves all over their properties. He actually didn't dismiss them. Mm -hmm. like, he went in, you know, checked on, checked on Allison. It's like, okay, she's okay. And then like his conversation is like, I told you guys not to come here. Now you've got all of this stuff. That's going to look like accidental manslaughter. <laughs> like it never entered, like never went to the, he was, honest about it he, he said it to them the way that tucker and dale were talking about it. it's like what's it going to look like his response is this is what it looks like not what did you guys do which is interesting um take on that conversation chain on that not listening it's like oh, oh cop actually did listen and came across as believing them unfortunately leaned against a pole i feel so bad for the cop uh, yeah <laughs> Yeah, the the, mis the miscommunication really is the stage of the film and allows the different points of view to be like the different scenes. Mm -hmm. It's what I what I overall like about what this film does is not so, like a de deconstruction of the trope. Yeah. In fact, it just uses them. Yeah. But then it goes from a different point of view and a different context. This is what actually could be happening or is mm -hmm. happening or you know when your vision is clouded with fear a situation of digging an outhouse might look like making her dig her own grave right yeah and it really did pull it off and i i think one of the reasons why it came out as well as it did is that wasn't the advertising point it wasn't what they were trying to bill it as um it was billed as a horror comedy and then ended up having just like this uh entertaining tale of two perspectives it's like maybe the guy from saw was the victim the entire time no that was just his cancer talking <laughs> how do you my name is cancer but well and, and it's interesting i think this is where this is why i'm going to say there's a deconstruction aspect to it here mm. um again it kind of goes back to that body count mm. there's no actual kill count and that's what kind of Brings it back into that deconstruction. Um, okay. Or am I just making stuff up? It's very possible. I mean, not like <laughs> um, you could make a, you could make an argue argument for it. Yeah. Cause it, cause it's, it's a bit more than just the both sides. Mm. It's literally, there is no, like the only even attempted at killing is 
again part of that reconstruction with Chad as the as the slasher. Mm. And that's one of those things that makes it makes it work so well. It's because there's films that just deconstruct and just kind of leave it leave it out TV series and such to Modica is an example that comes to my mind just about being the deconstruction of like magical girl. Mm. Then you have ones just subvert, which is Ooh. yeah. And then you have ones like this here where like this is the subversion that works, right? But it's because we've picked apart the tropes. You're only showing the both sides to show how the trope falls apart. Yeah. Which is the core of the deep instruction. And then having the ability to build it back to actually be that kind of slasher horror film. This film and Kick-Asses and before are the two that come to my mind that really nail each of those aspects, the deconstruction and the reconstruction of it. And yeah, just that recontextualizing, recontextualizing it in the reconstruction to change who the villain is. I think with that ex- explanation, it's probably the most accurate uh, description of what they've done here. Like any any inklings of anything like a contested point or anything, I think kind of like fall on the wayside because that was pro- again probably the most accurate depiction. Um I mean what it, what this film does subvert is the tropes itself, etc. not the not the viewer. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's the kind of subversion we hate here at Badby. <laughs> you gotta you gotta use you gotta use the viewers preconceptions and prejudices to enhance the story. Yes. If you want to change your mind, you do it through emotional impact and empathy. You work for that stuff. <laughs> you um, can't just be like, and this is why you're a bad person, fiend. Th- this is a big thing. It's like, again, this movie is very tropey. It plays on the tropes pretty much straight throughout, mm. as we've already discussed. And public service announcement, tropes are not bad. It's what you do with them. <laughs> Well, how can, because if you didn't have the tropes that we know, this film probably would have fallen flat because you're not going to realize what it's playing with. Mm-hmm. Right. And the fact they can play them so straight is, is a big thing. And it's a skill in writing. I mean, tropes can't technically be bad. It's one of those things like every, every story that ever will be told has already been told. Every character that will be made has already been made. And that means every archetype or situation or scene selection has already been done. Um, so it's about how you use those, those pieces. And so yeah, fundamentally a trope can't be bad. It's just how you, but people like thinking it is. And that is a shame. I think I was talking with someone they were, they were talking about, it's like, Oh, I'd like to see more, you know, more films based off of like this mythology. I'm like, you do you realize how much effort that's actually going to take? Because no one knows anything about that mythology. The reason why we always see films that are related to Greco-Roman myths and Norse myths is because that's what our culture is founded around. Mm-hmm. A Mesopotamian myth isn't going to mean anything to us. <laughs> yeah, you need to have that building point, and it allows for the film to go, not need to set up much to do what it's doing. If it wasn't for the tropes to play with, the film would need to be a lot longer to accomplish the same thing Mm -hmm. and you you can't do like culturally you can't do a deconstruction and reconstruction of a a story based on a different culture's mythology that's not well known 
you just become an a-hole at that point. <laughs> You're just like the the reason why the deconstruction reconstruction paradigm works with our um our localized stories is because we're within that culture. We've seen mm -hmm. that same story over and over again. So where's the critique of it? Yeah. Without having those cultural impacts, like without knowing the difference between a like a god and a spirit and a sprite or whatever based on whatever culture is impacting, how are you going to be able to de deconstruct that and have it make sense to a localized viewer? And it, for the culture that you're critiquing, it's probably going to come off half-hearted because they don't under the full, understand the full context if you know, the filmmaker or the writer is not from that culture. Even a, uh, an example of like, the cultural impact and how it affects viewers outside of that culture, I think we actually talked about it a bit during Squid Game. Mm-hmm. Where, like, very specifically for you and me, we didn't get the same impact out of it that most people are because, well, we were nerdy before it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> right. And already had a plethora of stories like that, that we were, that we were able to reference because, you know, it was a culture that we, we took part in. We could see tropes differently than most people are. So mm -hmm. didn't have that same freshness to us. There's all, yeah, there's so only so many like uh battle islands full of high schoolers or uh games of liars and etc etc etc. Um we, we we kind of already knew where the baseline was in Squid Game. Yeah. That that being said, I'm glad that that as a statement came through and became popularized. Yes. Even though one third of the major plot lines unneeded and about yeah. parts actively worked against the film, <laughs> <laughs> but at least he was handsome and also played into other tropes from that culture. Mm. As you pointed out, <laughs> probably saw it more when we, when we watched, uh, the man from nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but to get back on track, I definitely do see some places and room for improvement and i definitely see where they could have played a little bit more without getting campy about it mm. so i think overall this film probably lost two fingers there's bowling fingers too <laughs> <laughs> did that one always look like that <laughs> oh yeah that's fine <laughs> does that make him one tenth not hillbilly billy I mean, clearly one of those things that just feels so again, where, where that kind of tweak needs to be, like, I think it works within the film, but uh, and I'm not sure how to change it. It's like, it, it would have been interesting to have a better through line for Chad going off the rails. Um, like for like the, the big thing that goes to my mind. It's like, okay, you're clearly attracted to Allison, even though she's not that into you. Um, that being beside the point is like, to go to well clearly i'm not saving you anymore and i've got to kidnap you to get the hillbillies to come after me even though i clearly took you when they were both knocked out in the car <laughs> it was such a horror movie decision that i get it it does feel a bit weird i i think the only real failing the film had was not committing as much as i figured it should when looking at it from the college kids perspective mm -hmm. yeah so one of one of the tropes that they pulled out was 
doing the simple game, you know, the spin the bottle, rock, paper, scissors, draw a card, whatever, to have that person go do the dangerous, the pseudo dangerous thing. Yeah. But it was already further enough, far enough along in their, their perspective storyline that it was out of place and didn't make sense. Because mm. if she was like, that should have been pre uh, kidnapping. Yeah. From their perspective. So for them to play a game and have that joke, you know, best, uh, best out of seven. Yeah. Um, was out of place and it felt like they hadn't fully committed that side of the story. Mm. Um, now I'm not saying go full grim dark, but they, they could have darkened it up a little bit because they did with the visuals, mm-hmm. um, with the, the film, the lighting and the film overlay, like there was definitely a filter on it. Yeah. It's, it would have been interesting to, to play into that, that, that little bit more, just a little, just, just a little. Yeah, I think, I mean, this is going to be the difficulty with anything like this. It's the risk of you play with it too much. Mm -hmm. You can change the tone of it too much. Well, it's like cinnamon, right? Not enough cinnamon. You can't taste it at all and it doesn't enhance too much. And it's by very small margin and it ruins the pumpkin spice latte. (laughs) Yeah, it's, and like, I feel like they're right on the line with that because i think if we pull it too much more to the college kids perspective their side of it it's it's just gonna i don't know i think it would take away from it i think part of the miscommunication is just us knowing the college kids don't understand what's going on and getting any more thoughts in their head would probably put it over too much if we well, you don't even give them more scenes. You just darken it up a little bit more. It's just mm-hmm. s- simple word choices. Um, maybe taking the rock, paper, scissors out. Because I think having having the comedy bits more forward and not more like dry humor or dark comedy actively work against the point of view from their side, in my opinion. I think it works against their side, but I think it strengthens Tucker and Dale. Okay. So, um, college kids are afraid to even get involved, though I really think that Chad should have been pushing them to do something or he should have done something himself with the bit of characterization we got from him. Yeah. Let's, let's put that aside. Let's, let's look at college kids as a group, as a character and Tucker and Dale as a character. Okay. Okay. So college kids are LARPing at being heroes. Yes. They don't know. I mean, they're even playing rock, paper, scissors. To hit. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> Whereas, and this is when they know their friend is in danger. Or they quote unquote know their friend is in danger. We contrast that not too far after with Tucker and Dale's dog being in danger. And it's immediate. Here's the plan. Here's the action. And they just do it. There's no question about it. Mm. So I, I think that was more the point of that. Like showing the contrast in how they're even dealing with the situation. Okay. Two of them are ready to, and obviously freaked out appropriately of all these college kids dropping dead on their property. Whereas again, even the college kids are just LARPing at being in a horror movie. <laughs> like, and 
playing right into the tropes. Like, none of their decisions made sense in any way, shape, or form. I can see it now. I, I, mentioned, I mentioned this earlier about how, like, it's feasible that Michael Myers would, like, pick somebody up and, like, impale them on an object. Yeah. But you could almost fill fill in each of those deaths with something horror movie Big Bad would do. So, but he tried to attack uh, Dale with the pointy stick. Yeah. But the horror movie monster like might get stabbed or whatever, but he would take it out and just stab him back, right? Yeah. Or throwing somebody wholesale into the wood chipper. Yeah. I know there was a scene in one of the final destinations where someone took a bunch of nails to the face but i definitely could see it as a thing as like this is this is a two by four with a bunch of nails and i just hit this cop in the, the face with it yeah of the deaths i think that one was probably my favorite and the one that's most prone to like obvious misinterpretation outside of the actual murder hillbilly genre where you know you have michael myers or someone just picking up and yeah and slamming like that everything seemed accidental like the second you looked at it you could see it was accidental i mean i'm surprised that they didn't see the one guy just run and you know trip and kill himself like I mean, they were all fairly close but like the cop the one is like oh no there's literally like how are you supposed to misinterpret that <laughs> you just see him coming out after he went in a place where you think you have the psycho murderers and he comes out with two by four stuck through his head I, I i could see i agree with their misinterpretation they're freaking the fuck out it does mean that uh T tucker and dale and allison must have lied to the police though oh um i really don't expect that a bunch of people were in a suicide pack and killing themselves on my property would have flown i am certain at least my head canon is they blamed it all on chat Chad was actually the murderer. Mm -hmm. I don't know. They did have that college kid, you know, giving some credibility to their story. It just seemed like I, I, I'm interested in this world and like exactly how they got out of trouble on that. Because <laughs> there's one, there's one direction the blame's going to be pointed on that to be Tucker and Dale. The only way that they can get out of it is by either passing the blame, and they don't have like irrefutable proof that Buddy didn't throw himself into a wood chipper. I choose not to think about it. I mean, like, I, I don't, I don't, <laughs> no, it's interesting. I don't think it takes away from the story at all. Just like no. an interesting <laughs> contemplation. I have. Yeah. Especially because there's like no communication, really. The cop obviously didn't have time to say anything. Was the cop actually dead? It's possible that he may have survived. Mm. Out of the people who died, he's probably the only one that could have. Mm. Because I, I, I could see that possibly being. <laughs> <laughs> being an aspect to it yeah i guess before we wrap it up uh i like the way that they wrapped it up and be like hey is that that cop that we from before yeah totally like it was like this whole cyclical thing which was kind of fun mm. tied the storylines together yeah and it also put some context as to why him as the harbinger being like there's only pain up there makes sense yeah it's a reflection yeah. of his perception of that area yeah like father like son clearly just went crazy so, yeah, they must have. Uh, they must have blamed that. Must have blamed it on Chad. I, I, I like how. Um, I think one of my favorite things this with Dale at the end of the film. I like when he goes like, "Oh, you want murder hillbilly? I'm going to give you murder hillbilly." 
<laughs> and it just scares the crap out of Alice. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, I thought it would be intimidating. I, I think there was a bit, bit of that cleverness through, like, even in that kind of down reconstruction bit. The other one that really jumps out to me is like, I'm looking at pure evil and it stinks. It's like, said 24 hour protection. <laughs> and I love how it's in character for that to be the response. I don't know where I was going with that. I just like those points. They made me laugh. They were definitely entertaining. Oh yeah. And it's like, oh, I'm sure glad I'm not hung like a bear. With that, this has been the Spooktober Media Club. Join us next week where we actually talk to Jamie of the band Herod and discuss the film Scream, the cursed podcast. As always, if you enjoy what we do, share us with your friends or hand us out to trick-or-treaters, or join the conversation in the comments or at our Discord. Full list of services that we're available on is available at beardyandthebeast.com. Later.